Welcome to Worship with East Brentwood Presbyterian Church, a community church in the greater metropolitan area of Nashville, Tennessee. We are a faith community made up of a loving, welcoming family of believers in honest conversation with God. We seek to emulate the ministry of Jesus through compassionate service with stimulating and relevant exploration of God's Word and by sharing that Word and God's many blessings with our neighbors in Middle Tennessee and around the world. We are honored to share in worship with you today. Saul was the first king of the tribes of Israel, anointed by Samuel the prophet. His reign was marked by continuous battles against Israel's neighbors, and he struggled to do what the Lord asked of him. Chances are we have heard the stories of David, the young shepherd who would kill Goliath of the Philistines, and who would later himself become king. But we may know little of the tall, handsome, and complex Saul. Join us as we do some storytelling about Saul, and we look at the often overlooked sections of Scripture of 1 Samuel chapters 8 through 18. We are looking at some of Saul's many worst moments and what we think was one of his best moments. We all have them, worst moments that we would like to have a do-over, and we have some best moments too. In this worship short, we are going back to the stories of Scripture as we see what is helpful to us today as we go forward. Let us worship God. Let us open in prayer. Loving and welcoming God of all, we give thanks for your presence with us this day. Open our hearts so that we may listen to one another and the voices of those long silenced. Stitch us together that we may learn to live together with all our brothers and sisters in Christ in godly love and unity, singing your praises in glory as one. Protect us from discord, disunity, or division, and help all your children to stand firm in faith, a faith offered to all through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, who calls us to live a life of unity, grace, and peace. Amen. Hear now a reading from Psalm 133. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down upon the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down over the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord ordained his blessing, life forevermore.
Well, here we are heading into the long and delightful stretch of summer. A time for some of our listeners to slow down and enjoy sipping iced tea out on the deck. Some of you may be listening to this while on vacation. In the church calendar, we call this time during the summer ordinary time. It's a good time for preachers like me to regard this season as a time of readjustment and renewal, which sometimes allows us to do things differently. And for us, that has meant changing things up with a series we're calling Going Forward by Getting Back to the Stories of Scripture, which we hope you're enjoying. So we're going back to the two books of the Old Testament in the Hebrew Scriptures, 1st and 2nd Samuel. I've introduced this series saying it's like a Netflix drama or Game of Thrones with a battle on every page. There are stories of ambition, jealousy, greed, and somewhere in here, I hope, is the Word of God for the people of God. The word God spoke to them then could be a word that we need to hear now. In the last worship worship episode, we approached the story of Hannah like we were doing repertory theater. And in the sermon, I treated Hannah's beautiful song as a monologue. Today, our focus is upon Saul, the first of the king of the tribes of Israel. And I want to do things differently today. I want to fly over these great stories found in 1 Samuel chapter 8 through chapter 18 and treat what you find in those pages much like a storyteller would. In this part, God's people are asking Samuel, the last judge of Israel, for a king. Samuel told them, hey, you don't really want a king, for a king would be a taker and not a giver. But they wanted one anyway, and the one they got was Saul. I'd like to tell you how that happened, that they got Saul. But my purpose is not just to help you get more familiar with these wonderful stories from 1 Samuel. I hope to see if there's anything we can learn from Saul. What were Saul's worst and best moments? We all have them, worst moments that we'd like to have as a do-over. And we have some best moments too, so pull up your chair. Here's how the story goes. There was a man from the tribe of Benjamin whose name was Kish. He was a wealthy farmer, and he had a son named Saul, who was tall and good-looking. And we are told that there was not a man in the kingdom more handsome than Saul. Well, one day his father's donkeys got loose, and it was Saul who was sent to find them. It didn't matter how tall and good-looking was, the donkeys needed to be found. So Saul took one of his servants with him, and they went through the hill country. But in all their searching, they did not find the donkeys. Saul said, hey, we better get back or my dad uh, is going to stop worrying about the donkeys and start worrying about us. But his servant, Suf, said, hey, wait, there is a man of God in this town, a prophet, who may be able to help us. And that is how they met Samuel. Well, Samuel, he wasn't just any prophet. He was an already famous Samuel. When Saul ran into Samuel, this famous prophet started rambling about around, hey, about how Saul was this person God had told him about and how Saul and his ancestral household being was what Israel was yearning for. Young Saul must have thought, Samuel, you have been standing out in the sun too long. Ancestral household? Well, the story goes on that God had told Samuel the day before, I'm going to send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be my prince over Israel, and he will save my people from the Philistines. So when Samuel saw 
Saul coming towards him, God said, hey, that's the one. And Samuel treated him like the king he was about to be. Samuel took Saul to a fancy banquet and put him at the head table, gave him the best portions of meat, let him sleep in his own guest room. As Saul was getting ready to leave the next day, Samuel took him aside and said, first of all, don't worry about the donkeys. They've been found. And second of all, the Lord has chosen you to reign over Israel and save them from the hand of their enemies. And then he anointed Saul with oil and kissed him on both cheeks and then told him how things would be confirmed. He would meet a boy about the donkeys. Three men would meet him and give him bread for the journey. And then Saul would meet a group of prophets. And Saul would begin to prophesy with them. Not very climatic, not exactly on par with pomp and circumstance of coronations in the Netflix series, The Crown. But, but then again, God was not too hot on the idea that the Israelites really needed a king, above all, like other nations. Nor was Samuel. Well, when, Sam, when Saul met the prophets, the text says, the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he began to prophesy with them, and the Lord gave him another heart, and he became another man. Saul was filled with energy and freedom beyond himself. The, nor- the narrative, it's it, it strange to find words for the new reality. This is the gift of the Spirit. It is the power of God that comes upon Saul. But when Saul got home, And his uncle asked him what happened, like a teenager coming home after an eventful party. And the mom asked, hey, how did it go, son? Saul said, nothing. But something had happened. In fact, Saul seems like a reluctant king choosing to hide behind baggage. When Samuel announced to the people that he was indeed the chosen one, he hides behind the baggage. When Samuel makes the announcement, it's not really a best moment for Saul. He should have known. Like we ought to know, you can't hide from God. Well, Samuel went and got him out from hiding behind the bag and put him in front of the people. And the men said, ooh, look how tall he is. And all the women said, ooh, and look how good looking he is. And Samuel said, do you see the one who the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him in all the land. And all the people shouted, long live the king. But there wasn't that much for a king to do, not initially. So Saul went back to his father's farm and worked for years until he rallied the troops of Israel to fight against Nahash the Ammonite, who had threatened to gouge out the eyes of his conquest. That's right, gouge out the eyes. 330,000 people joined Saul in striking down the Ammonites, and Saul was celebrated as their king, Samuel. He could tell his days as a judge were over and that they embraced their new king who got things done. So he delivered his farewell address that if they would only, these are the words, if they would only fear the Lord and serve him and keep his commandments. And if the king would too, to keep his commandments and to be obedient to God, then all would be well. But if they didn't, they would have trouble. Promises were made, Samuel went home, and Saul was left to figure out what a king was supposed to do. He was clumsy at it, and for the first couple of years, he piddled around before he determined the best day he ever had was the day he defeated the Ammonites. 
Maybe that's what a king is supposed to do, fight. So he rounded up 3,000 men and fought the Philistines. The most famous would be known as Goliath. Well, Saul's worst moments came when he took matters into his own hands or gave his own orders or made his own decisions without reliance upon God. Because this is not what a king of Israel is supposed to do. A king of Israel is supposed to listen, and maybe that is what all of us are supposed to do. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul when Saul can't get it right? The Lord said to Samuel, I have rejected him. So now fill your horn with oil and set out to anoint a new king. I will send you to Jesse, the Philomite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And one of his sons would be named David. Well, everyone knows the story of young David, the future king, who takes his slingshot and kills Goliath with it. Everyone knows that ending, but what happens in the story before that famous battle might be one of Saul's best moments. And you will find his best moment in 1 Samuel 17. Here's the story. The Philistines encamping, ready for battle. They have sent Goliath out to taunt Saul and his army, who's encamped on the other side of the valley. Saul and his army are afraid. David, a young shepherd boy, comes into the camp and expresses disbelief that God, Goliath, should defy the armies of God. So here's the story. David rose early, left the sheep with the keeper, took the provisions, and then he said, who is this guy, Goliath, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul. And Saul sent for David. And David said to Saul, let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are just a boy, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it and struck it down, rescuing the lamb. Your servant has killed both lions and bears, and this Philistine shall be one of them too, since he has defied the armies of the living God. Well, Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped sword, Saul's sword over the armor, and he tried in vain to walk, for he was not used to them, and he was just a boy. But then David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I'm not used to them. So David removed them. So we're looking for best moments. And here's one. There's this astonishing moment when young David gets to define what is going on. Given the young boy's lack of status, David shouldn't be talking. Uh, That's what David's eldest brother, Eliab, says. He asks David, what are you doing here? We're preparing to fight the battle of our lives, and here you are showing up at the scene, chatting it up. This is a war between the armies of Saul and the Philistines. You are no soldier. You are just a shepherd. You are just a boy. Go home. 
is an interesting moment in the story, and it's probably King Saul's best moment of his reign. For unlike Eliab, Saul listens. Sometimes God is most clearly seen when people of power listen. Saul listens. He's clumsy at it. Here, wear my armor, Saul tells David. If you're going to do this, at least do it like I would do it. But David has a different story to tell. David said, that armor doesn't fit me. I have to rely on God. So what does this storyteller have to say? Not about those days in the time of Saul, but about us who are living in these days in 2021. Is there any wisdom? We are coming out of unsettling days, days defined by pandemic, pain, and the protests of last year that have bled into 2021. One of the unsettling things happening all around us is that there are a lot of Davids out there who have their own story to tell, and it's different from what we have known to be what we might call the majority narrative. We have had a story we tell of who we are as a people, of who we are as a church, of who we are as a nation, but some are saying they have a different story to tell. think we can learn from Saul, that we need to be a bit like Saul and listen. It's time to hear some voices that don't often have the social power to speak. There's been some anger, and there's been a whole lot of pain expressed. And there remains a deep weariness with the realities of what Condoleezza Rice has called America's birth defect, systemic racism. We have seen the signs that said Black Lives Matter. I think Black Lives Matter rubs some of us the wrong way, and I've gotten your communications. I have heard in the news what people think. You ask, what do you mean Black Lives Matter? All lives matter. Yeah, they do. Of course, all lives matter. Now, you may see it differently, but hear me out. When it comes to engaging the power structures of society, all lives aren't mattering the same, aren't treated the same. The data is overwhelming. So in theory, all lives matter, but in practice, they don't matter the same. And I understand the Black Lives Matter movement to be saying it's the practice where it needs to matter. Black lives matter too. Maybe that's a better way to say it. So when we say all lives matter, we sound a bit like Eliab here. Who are you to challenge my narrative? People of color have a different story to tell. And it is one we need to hear. And we have a chance to really listen. I am recording this a few days before Juneteenth. Juneteenth Freedom Day, rooted in emancipation for the enslaved. So it involves both the celebration of joy and a commemoration of pain. June 19th marks the anniversary of the day in 1865 when news of the Emancipation Proclamation reached Galveston, Texas, nearly two years after the proclamation had been issued by Abraham Lincoln. 
African-Americans beginning in Texas have celebrated the holiday since 1866, and now 42 out of our 50 states celebrate it as a holiday. We have the need to listen to Opal Lee, 94, a former teacher who grew grew up in Texas and who for years has been campaigning for Juneteenth to become an official holiday. In 2016, at the age of 89, she walked from her home in Fort Worth to Washington, D.C. to raise awareness of Juneteenth. She writes, I want people to realize that this is not a Texas thing and it's not a black thing because none of us are free until we are all free. And heaven knows we're not free yet, she said. What's taking place this weekend are celebrations of joy and remembrances of pain as American deepens their core values of equality and freedom. So this is not about good folks and bad folks. History has taught us that a strong temptation of the powerful is to believe that we have our power because we deserve it and because we are better. And by implication, those who lack power are lesser. And therein is a seductive temptation to assume that we are powerful because we are good, rather than to acknowledge, even confess, that because we are powerful, we have additional responsibility to pursue that which is good and to listen to others who are without the same access to power. I've been engaged in years, conversation for years, about this matter, and yet during this last year I still have felt a a bit clumsy with it all. But that clumsiness is what makes it all the more important to be more like Saul and to listen. So don't check out when we hear things we don't really want to hear. Hang in, even when the narrative of what is going on right now is different from the narrative we might offer. Recognize that there might be a little bit of Eliab in us that says, but who are you to talk? That's the moment to be your best like Saul's best moment, and listen, even if we feel a bit clumsy. There's a lot to learn from Saul, from his worst moments and from his best moments. His worst moments came when he took matters into his own hands or gave his orders or focused on self-reliance rather than reliance upon God. Apparently, that is not what a king of Israel is supposed to do. A king of Israel is supposed to listen, and maybe that's what all of us are supposed to do. When Saul did, it was one of his best moments. By listening, we are much more likely to hear what God wants from us in this moment. Let us pray. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. Gracious God, you call us to listen to you and to one another. To lean into the hope that comes from our faith and to trust in you. Unite us in this hope. May we trust in your power to gather the pieces we are and give them back to us in all the right order. Amen.
As we seek to live into Christ's call to listen to voices long silenced and feed the bodies and souls of our brothers and sisters, both near and far, East Brentwood Presbyterian Church is prayerfully considering becoming a Matthew 25 congregation. Matthew 25 verses 31 through 46 calls us to active engagement in the world around us, turning our faith into action and opening ourselves to new ways of being a relevant presence in this world. So to this end, the Presbyterian Church USA has called upon congregations to act boldly and compassionately, to serve people who are hungry, oppressed, imprisoned, or poor. To learn more about EPPC's commitment to becoming a Matthew 25 congregation or the significance of Juneteenth, visit us at our website, ebpctn.org. We invite you to join us in answering Christ's urgent call to be a church of action where God's love, justice, and mercy shine forth and are contagious. Thank you for joining us as you listen to this uh, episode five of our worship podcast. Thank you for listening to Nate Strasser, music director, Lindsay Hines-Brown, director of faith formation, and me, John Hilly, pastor of East Brentwood Presbyterian Church. God bless you.